Please rise. Court is now in session. All rise. I strenuously object. A legal podcast brought to you by the Pittsburgh law firm of Flaherty Fardo is now in session. All those seeking information about the law and legal matters affecting the people of Pittsburgh and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, half-baked opinions, and a dose of self-indulgence are invited to attend and participate. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I object, Your Honor. Your Honor, I object. You would! Call the first witness. Hey, good morning, William. Morning, Noah. How are you? I'm I'm great. We're gonna we're gonna break some news again today. Also, unrelated, I had a turkey trying to climb through the gate into my backyard this morning. Uh, that was a first. I've lived here for 20 years. I've never never had a turkey trying to make their way into my backyard before. Um, and how did that help us with entertaining our audience or educating them on the breaking news involving medical malpractice? Um, not not a lick. Okay. Did you want to talk about the weather, or were you just making chit-chat? Yeah, mostly some chit-chat. You know, you asked how I was doing. Hey, quick hit today. Very briefly, we need to update our listeners about the recent development that happened in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court involving medical malpractice. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Are you aware of it? I am. So, interesting story. I have a friend-slash-relative, because I'm going to keep it this as broad as possible, who is dating an ER doctor. And... He told me this past weekend that this ER doctor confided in him that she is shocked at the number of malpractice errors that harm or kill people that the family never knows because of the complexity of medicine. Does that surprise you? No, no, it doesn't. Um, Even in the cases where there ends up being obvious malpractice, it's sometimes, sometimes very hard to find. Yeah, I don't care how many times I say it. It's shocking to me. Almost half a million people, 483,000 people, they estimated, die as a result of medical malpractice errors every year. Half a million people. Why are we not talking about this? Well, we've got some good news to to give some potential uh, med mal plaintiffs, at least as of today. Um, So the the state Supreme Court, its rules committee, has promulgated uh, an amendment to the rules of civil procedure. Um, Quick 10,000-foot view here. Uh, Unlike every other defendant and even every other professional defendant that exists in the world, there was a special law and rule protecting the choice of venue for medical providers and doctors who are sued, which used to say, and for years has said, you can only bring a medical malpractice suit against a a doctor or a hospital or whatever in the county where the care was actually provided. Now, that's a unique rule that benefits only and specifically physicians and other medical providers. And you know, the basis of it was it's like it's like the rest of this stuff. There was a, a bunch of political lobbying. You'll, you'll remember it was maybe 20 years ago. Uh, everyone talked about the kind of medical malpractice crisis and frivolous lawsuits and the insurance was getting so high that all the doctors were going to leave the state. Uh, we now know and the Supreme Court now knows that that was overblown and none of that stuff happened. Um, and it, the number of medical malpractice cases that were being filed actually went down. And anyway, for years they've been talking about and have finally made the decision to strike off this rule and say, no, doctors, hospitals, non-governmental medical providers uh, are subject to the same jurisdictional rules as far as lawsuits as 
any other defendant. The special rule that gave them extra protection that said, sorry, you have to sue them in whatever county the work was done in, that is no longer the case. Yeah. And so the question is, why does it matter? And I was actually practicing medical malpractice before those rules took place. I think it was 2003. Um, But why it mattered is because before 2003, if a patient was hurt in a medical malpractice case in Butler or in Lawrence County, PA, and it's against an entity that also practices in Pittsburgh, I could choose whether I want to sue in Lawrence County or in Allegheny County. And the logic behind it is, and the stats, I believe, prove it, is that plaintiffs will receive higher jury verdicts in larger cities. And Philadelphia, because it's larger than Pittsburgh, has a reputation for high jury verdicts. The rural counties where residents tend to be more conservative, you see a lot less verdicts. And even, Bill, you've seen this, where we'll talk to defense lawyers about settling cases or whatever, and they'll say, well, the highest verdict ever in Cambria County is, is, is a low number. So the doctors looked at it as forum shopping. Well, you're picking a better venue. It happened in Butler County. Therefore, you have to sue there. And that was that way until now, correct? That's right. And, uh, you know, it's not the word, the phrase forum shopping is interesting. The default rule under the law applicable in all kinds of cases uh, has always been the plaintiff gets to choose where they bring the suit. Now, there are rules governing, you know, I can't. I can't sue someone who's never been to California in California if there's no minimum contacts there, right? The jurisdiction isn't that open. And the rules remain in place as far as choosing the right venue or forum here. Someone who's injured in Pittsburgh and their medical care is in Pittsburgh and all of the evidence and the the witnesses, they're all in the Pittsburgh area. You're really not going to be able to just go sue in Philadelphia because they give you higher verdicts, right? You, you can file out there and then the defendants will make a motion. It's called forum nonconvenience, which is, is what it sounds like. It's an inconvenient forum where they say, Hey, look, the parties are all going to have to travel across the state for everything. This is crazy. There's no reason to have this in Philadelphia. It should be in Pittsburgh instead. You know, so it's not as if everyone in every County is now going to be able to bring their suits in Philadelphia. Um, but you're going to have some measure of freedom. There's a lot of these practice groups that practice in multiple places. Um, and maybe you, you know, live in Allegheny County, but the, the procedure happened, you know, in, in a cranberry facility. And so you're technically over the border into Butler County, but you're here and your doctor also practices here. That person's going to be able to sue in Allegheny County and not Butler County because the group is practicing in multiple locations and so on. So it is going to open the door uh, in, in some cases. And, and, and the other thing to remember is the cost of actually pursuing one of these cases, um, in, especially in kind of an outlying County can be more expensive, especially if you're getting to trial, cause you got to pay your, your expert witnesses to, to get out to whatever County and whatever courthouse you're in. So consolidating in the, in the cities can arguably be, be, beneficial to everyone's pocketbook, the defense experts and the plaintiff's experts. And that's an argument that's now open to you when the defense shows up and says, hey, this is the wrong forum. You need to move this case to, uh, you know, Cambria County or Clearfield County or whatever and say, well, well, no, I mean, you can bring it in either place. And here are the benefits and the reasons why having this litigation in Allegheny County instead makes sense. Yeah. As an experienced medical malpractice trial attorney, do you, would you recommend that people injured in a medical malpractice case 
pick jurisdictions such as Allegheny or Philadelphia, if possible, under this new change in the law? It's not quite one size fits all, right? There may be circumstances and you have to consider all of them in your case. Um, but generally speaking, the reason that plaintiff's attorneys want this rule removed and the specific argument that the, that the insurance companies have been making against forum shopping is premised on their understanding and knowledge that generally speaking, the, the jury verdicts are higher in, in Philadelphia and Allegheny counties in the, in the more populated counties. The Supreme Court addressed this and said, well, you know, look, if the jury pool is determining the outcome of the case, that's not fair anyway. We shouldn't be forcing people to, to kind of pick their venue based upon that. But if the defendants are saying that these high verdicts are somehow unfair to them, the Supreme Court disagreed and said, look, there's no windfall in these medical malpractice cases. It is simply not true that somehow a smaller verdict in um, Armstrong County is right, but a bigger verdict in Allegheny County is wrong. The Supreme Court said, no, these are serious injuries with lasting consequences mm -hmm. and real victims here. And we aren't interested in encoding in our rules of civil procedure a policy whose express purpose is to keep jury verdicts down and, and thus keep insurance premiums down and everything else. Yeah. That's the rationale behind the rule that went away. So I would say if the insurance companies think that it's bad to let you bring your case in Allegheny County or Philadelphia, that's pretty strong evidence that you should at least consider it where it's possible. Yeah. So to summarize, the breaking news is I look at this as a win for victims of medical malpractice. I think this is good for the plaintiffs. It's not the absolute ability to pick wherever you want to file a suit, but it's opening the door and it's moving the needle back towards plaintiffs where I think it's been in favor of the doctors and hospitals for at least the last 20 years. Um, anything else? Our listeners, potential clients need to know. Yeah, I mean, so this could become a showdown again where the legislature can come in and pass a law that that reestablishes the old rule or whatever. So it, it does kind of open up a, a potentially limited window um, to take advantage of this rule once it comes into effect, which, by the way, doesn't come into effect until January of next year uh, when the new rule actually gets propagated. So, there, you know, there's nothing you can do right now. The old rule remains in effect for the rest of the calendar year. Um, but, yeah, look. Medical malpractice plaintiffs should have the same rights as every other plaintiff, whether in professional negligence cases or any kind of case, to select the forum that makes the most sense to have their case heard fairly, expeditiously, and efficiently. And right now, the medical malpractice plaintiff is back on even footing with everyone else. So uh, it's certainly good for plaintiffs to give the plaintiffs the choice to sue where they think justice can be found. Uh, that's why it's the default rule in every other kind of case. Yep. Awesome. Hey, thank you, Bill. If you've been a victim of medical malpractice, if you have a loved one who you think has been a victim of medical malpractice, uh, there is a statute of limitations, so don't wait. Uh, have your case reviewed. And if you have questions about medical malpractice, visit our website, pghfirm.com. And now we're going to do our Mailing It In segment, where we answer questions submitted by you, the listeners. The mail never stops. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's never a let up. It's relentless. And the more you get out, the more it keeps coming in. And then the barcode reader breaks, and it's published. It's clearing out. All right, all right, all right. This question comes from listener Adam G. And Adam asks, given the premiere of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, 
What is your opinion of representing individuals who have superpowers and how could that change the legal process? Superpowers, huh? Well, I mean, superpowers. I mean, I'm confused by the question. I don't know this She-Hulk narrative. I think I understand the question, though, but I like to have things more clearly defined. Well, well, I'll note this. She-Hulk is a currently airing uh, kind of lighthearted series from the folks at Marvel. Um, it's a cousin of the original Hulk, Bruce Banner. She is female and she is a practicing attorney with Hulk superpowers. What's her superpowers, though? What what are the Hulk? She turns into a green monster? Or what? Yeah, big, giant, green, super strong uh, super being. Nice. Incredible strength. The only difference is she's in control of her powers, whereas the original Hulk was not. No, he was not. Love that show. Yeah. So look, obviously there's, okay, maybe I shouldn't say obviously. Um, I was going to say, obviously there's no such thing as superpowers, but it depends on how you think about or conceptualize that, right? Um, there are, for example, professional fighters, whether you're a boxer or an MMA person or, or someone with extensive training. Um, and if that person gets into a fight and injures somebody, they bear a higher level of culpability. Um, I, I don't know if it's actually true that there are people who have to register their fists as deadly weapons, but that was always kind of a thing that existed notionally in the cultural landscape. What is the five fingers? Say to the face! What? Slap! And I know this, if I'm representing someone who's a trained fighter um, who gets into a fight and hurts somebody really bad in a bar, um, the fact of their training matters. The fact that they have a higher level of lethality matters. And I, I, I think the same would be true of superpowers. Um, uh, Noah, have you seen any of the Marvel movies? It doesn't matter which or how many. I believe I have. I mean, um, wasn't X-Men part of the Marvel movie movies or no? Yeah, yeah, the X-Men, now now the, technically, they were kind of siloed off from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they're uh -huh. being brought back in. It's a very complicated issue with the X-Men. They'll get there eventually. Nerd alert! But any of it works for the purposes of, there is a ton of collateral damage. In real life, even if they're out there doing good, you know, when you smash up a city, right, if you're, if you're the X-Men and you're ripping... Uh, you know, Magneto's ripping RFK Stadium out of the ground and kind of dropping it um, kind of, in, you know, by the Washington Monument or whatever. These these sorts of things. Can you imagine how many of these heroes would get sued from people who are injured or property that's injured or damaged um, because they didn't take reasonable measures to make sure that while fighting whatever you know, earth changing thing they're fighting. Um, they didn't take reasonable measures to protect people, property, people's well-being and health. Um, and, and they would be required to do so. It's just a reasonable man standard. Right. Um, and they would be responsible for n not having taken better protective measures. But what, what give me using your example of the boxer whose hands are lethal weapons, what better standards should they use? What do you, what do you, Use that analogy for me. Well, so again, the uh, the standard here is to understand the like the reasonably foreseeable consequences of your action. More than most people, someone who's a professional fighter knows the damage that can happen if they pop some amateur in a bar and knock them out or cause some grave injury to them. So here's where I'm I'm having trouble. My disconnect before processing the argument is trying to think of other real life examples. You used the boxers with his fists. And I'm trying to write down some examples. Do you mean like 
What about a race car driver being used in a getaway? Does that matter? How about a Green Beret who's able to commit a murder because he was skilled at murder? Does that elevate the crime? Is that what we're analyzing? Well, I don't, I, I'm more analyzing the civil as opposed to criminal consequences, but let me suggest something else. If you are driving a tractor trailer, um, the damage you can cause by a mistake when you're driving a vehicle that's that big, that heavy, uh, is greater. And I think you need to be more aware. Everyone should be aware, right? This isn't a unique standard. It's not like only superheroes shouldn't just uh, shouldn't smash up cities. And it's not like only professional fighters shouldn't knock people out at bars. Uh, but you have to be aware. And when you're aware of the increased risk that your own abilities or power or the weight of the vehicle you're driving create, you need to be careful and fully appreciate the risk that you pose. Interesting. So it's going to the standard of care. And I mean, it's almost the direct opposite where I wouldn't be qualified to drive an 18 wheeler, which could be used to prove liability. But you're saying the converse is also true because of your special inherent abilities. You have a higher standard of care and may have liability when some people don't. Is that correct? Or at least that your liability is heightened, uh, even if it's not a simple yes or no, where everyone over here has liability and everyone over here doesn't. You know, if you're in a bar and Floyd Mayweather Jr. is in a bar and both of you get a drink spilled on you and you both punch the guy and the result is the same, I don't see a difference in the level of culpability. Well, let me add a little something here. If What if someone was a mind reader, could actually read other people's minds? Mm -hmm. How would that change the legal process? What if we could all read each other's minds? Look, I think in terms of changing the legal process, the law is always evolving. And we talked about this before from... Why do we have seatbelts? Why do we have airbags? Um, I don't know. I haven't seen She-Hulk. I don't have an easy answer for this one. I think you're right, though. The, the law would have to adapt, but it would adapt. And I think in some sense it will have to, right? Whether we think of them as superpowers or not. Technology's changing, right? Um, you know, we'll reach a point where the way people are getting, you know, whether it's physical or, or kind of brain implants or the kind of transhumanism stuff. Everything that's encoded in memory, you could you could upload. You could basically store your memories um, as a backup. Um, you know, I think that's further away than the people who are really into that sci-fi uh, think it is. But that doesn't mean it's never going to happen. The future is going to be weird. Uh, taking specifically the mind reading hypothetical, right? If there are in fact mind readers, they become some version of, you know, human polygraphs. And, uh, you know, you can imagine having to instruct a, you know, a, a juror to disclose that so that, you know, so that you're not subjecting individual people testifying um, to those kinds of powers. You know, it's hard to know, depending on the power and the circumstances, what it is that, that the courts would do to adapt. But the courts are designed in some way to to kind of try to find procedures that re-equalize the playing field. And if something as crazy as superpowers come into being, that really tilts the field and it poses a real challenge for, for lawyers and for the system to figure out how to adapt. Isn't in real life money a kind of a superpower in the courtroom? <laughs> Money is Batman's superpower, right? Uh, money is also something of a superpower in the legal system. And, and you know, it's, it exists in tension. Um, money gives you some real and, and lasting advantages. It's hard to overcome that in the law as anywhere else. But the law, more than anywhere else, strives to be a place that allows you to challenge someone who there's no other venue available. It, is, it might be, at least in theory, the place where you can 
best offset the advantages that money provides, uh, but but also it doesn't exist in in some kind of abstract isolation. So uh, that's a superpower that's going to be with us uh, now and through the end. Yep. All right. Well, I'm just thankful anybody took the time to send us an email. Very nice. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of I Strenuously Object. Keep your ear down for any more news in the in the medical malpractice world. And uh, please do rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. Uh, tell your friends to check us out. Uh, if you have any questions for our Mailing It In segment or any other podcast feedback, send us an email at iobject at pghfirm.com. Or uh, we have an Instagram. Uh, that's at iStrenuouslyObjectPodcast. That, you know, is long but accurate and most definitely us. So again, the I Strenuously Object Podcast on Instagram. Uh, for any more information on medical malpractice or other legal matters, visit the Flaherty Fardo website at pghfirm.com. And until next time, some parting advice. See your future. Be your future. Make, make, make it, make it. Make your future, Danny. Noah, are we adjourned? We are adjourned. The purpose of this podcast is a vanity project by Noah and Bill and should not be relied upon for legal advice. It does not constitute advice of any nature. We are not providing any services to anyone who is listening. Listeners acknowledge that they are not being provided advice from us or any of our guests. Podcast is for private, non-commercial use, and our guests and their views do not necessarily reflect any agency or organization or company that they work for. I think many of the opinions expressed don't even necessarily reflect the opinions of those people speaking. We don't know you. We don't represent you. Please do not rely on anything we say as legal advice. Thank you. <laughs>